we sure have enjoyed being here. It's been such a blessing, such a delight. I want to encourage you to pray for us as we leave. There's prayer cards over here. Hope you'll grab prayer cards. And all the children can be dismissed just now. Four years old up through fourth grade, all the children. Four years old up through fourth grade. You can follow Mr. Timothy and Miss Amber and Mr. Daniel back for children's Bible time. Brother Paul and his family will be leaving early tomorrow morning, heading back via Kansas and Mississippi and then North Carolina. So you pray for them as they journey back. Sarah has been teaching at uh, piano at Ambassador Baptist College this semester. And uh, I think probably next. I don't want to misspeak, but you pray for them as they they have to adjust. That's a little bit different and out of their routine. Last year, I was a little bit out of my routine. Amber had stayed home to take care of my mom. Would, uh, was just recovering for some, from some injuries and in therapy. And so that's a little bit of a challenge when uh, you're not together as a family. So you pray for them. Pray for us. We'll be leaving Saturday. Brother Monday can't get rid of me that easy. I'm kind of stay around like a bad relative and haunt him for the next couple days. You pray that I would be very effective in my gift as I do that. But uh, then we leave Saturday and we head to Kansas. And uh, we'll be down south of uh, uh, Wichita and Clearwater, Kansas and then to Memphis, and then home. So we'll be home for the holidays, so pray pray for that. I want to encourage each of you, before we get into the message, to do everything you can to give out gospel tracts this, this season. Uh, last year, uh, just a little bit before Easter, the Lord introduced me to some people in Michigan. I don't know if I told you about this last year or not, but some preachers that were burdened about getting their people to give out gospel tracts. Everybody ought to be a witness. How many of you believe every Christian ought to be a witness? You believe that? I believe that. If we don't, we're not understanding the Bible because the Bible sure teaches that. And giving out tracts is just a simple, basic way of entry-level soul winning. You can give out a track and not say much. All you have to do is smile. You can give out a track and nod and say, happy holidays from here all the way till January 2nd, 3rd, 4th, or 5th. It's great. I mean, really, it is great. Easiest time of the year to give out gospel tracts is right now. Easiest time of the year. And um, and and so these men started were just two preachers encouraging their people to give out gospel tracts. So they did it between two churches. They had a little competition and they said, you know what, that was that was good. And other preachers began to find out and they said, hey, we'd like to be a part of something like that in Michigan. So they called called it Phil Michigan and they encouraged a bunch of churches to give out gospel tracts. And then some preachers outside of Michigan said, hey, we'd like to be a part of something like that. So they, they got a bunch more churches and, and a bunch more preachers. They call it Phil America. And it's evangelists and missionaries and pastors all over the country trying to encourage their people just to give out gospel tracts. More Christians need to give out gospel tracts and witness because gospel tracts get the job done in a myriad of ways. And uh, so they had four pushes or five pushes last year and four pushes this year. And there's one push left. And your pastor is aware of it. And this church is a part of it. But uh, wow, what a great opportunity we have to give out gospel tracts. Since the start of this whole thing, 1.6 million tracts have been given out in, in just a year and a half. That's a good thing, isn't it? And so the gospel goes around. They say that a tract usually gets read six or seven times before it is discarded. And so that's the gospel to 1.6 million people. And if it gets read by other people, it's even more than that. So I'm excited about that. And with that in mind, there's tracks over here you can buy. And I know that your church has tracks. And I know that the Cross Cobs just came out with a track. You pray about that because we're wanting to get that published and, and printed in, in Spanish. Pray that God will work all those details out. 
But uh, you pray. Pray for us as we get the gospel out. There's never been a more important time than getting the gospel out than right now. And so let's do it with all of our gusto. Our Bibles are open to James chapter 5. Would you just look at what the Bible says in James chapter 5 and the Word of God? I draw your attention to James chapter 5, verses 7 and 8. In James chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, he says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it, until he receive the early and latter rain. Be also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Father, speak to us now. I pray in Jesus' name, change us as a result of our time in your word, and we'll thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Have you ever asked the question when you look around at this crazy world, Lord, how long? How long till this is all over? How long do we have to endure all this pain? How long before you come again? How long before the wicked don't triumph and the, and the righteous don't suffer? How long before righteousness prevails and wickedness fails? How long, Lord, how long? How long before you, you vanquish your enemies? And how, how long, how, how, how much longer do babies have to suffer and be killed? How much longer does immorality have to prevail and permeate our society that once was a light to heathen nations around? How, how long? How long before God's people uh, can be rescued? How, how long, how much longer must we endure all these discouraging things and all this discouraging news? How, how long, uh, how much longer did the elitists in, in high places uh, rule this world with wickedness and deception, the likes of which this world has never seen? Lord, how long? How long do we have to go through difficulty and hardship and heartache and suffering? How long? Some of you maybe are asking that question. You especially ask that question when you go through loss. Lord, how much longer do we have to have death and suffering and pain? Some of you going through pain ask that question. How long do we have to suffer this pain and heartache? Oh Lord, how long? How long does the devil seem to be winning and raging and the heathen rage? Lord, how long? Well, you're not the first one to ask the question. As a matter of fact, this is what was basically being asked in James 5. Look at verse 1. He says, go to now, you rich man. Weep and howl for your miseries that shall come upon you. Your riches are corrupted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver is cankered, and the rust of them shall be a witness against you and shall eat your flesh as it were fire. Ye have heaped treasure together for the last days. Behold, the hire of the laborers who have reaped down your fields, which is of you kept back by fraud, crieth, and the cries of them which have reaped are entered into the ears of the Lord of Sabaoth. You have lived in pleasure on the earth and have been wanton. You have nourished your, your hearts as in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and killed the just, and he, he doth not resist you. Somebody needs to send this passage to the rich men north of Richmond. Somebody needs to send this passage to every church in this country and every, every church in this country that are glad, that are filled with people that are glad to live for the American dream and aren't giving to missions and aren't seeking to win the world to Jesus Christ around them. The same question is being proposed basically by those that were in the church that James wrote to. And he says in verse number seven to them, be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth and hath long patience for it 
until he, he, re he received the early and latter rain. Be ye also patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Now the question, how long, is not wrong to ask. It's legitimate to ask. It's been asked for centuries and millennia. But I want to say, while you ask the question and you go to the Lord for the answer, remember, this question is asked when our focus is on our circumstances, on our troubles, on our loss, on our difficulty, on our conflict, on our doubts, on our enemy, on our confusion, and our, our limited viewpoint. How long, Lord? How long? They asked the question in Revelation 6 and verse 10. They cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? How long? It's a legitimate question, but just know what it's based upon. And know this, you're not the first one to ask it. Job asked the question in Job 7 and verse 19. He said, How long wilt thou not depart from me, nor let me alone till I swallow down my spittle? Moses asked the question in Psalm 90, verses 12 through 14. He said, so teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts unto wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? And let it repent thee concerning thy servants. O satisfy us early with thy mercy that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. In Psalm 6, verses 1 through 4, David asked the question when he said, O Lord, rebuke me not in thine anger, neither chasten me in thy hot displeasure. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are vexed. My soul is also sore vexed. But thou, O Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver my soul. O save me for thy mercy's sake. Again, in Psalm 13, verses 1 through 5, David asked the same question when he said, How long wilt thou forget me, O Lord? Forever? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? How long shall I take counsel in my soul, having sorrow in my heart daily? How long shall mine enemy be exalted over me? Consider and hear me, O Lord my God. Lighten mine eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest mine enemy say, I have prevailed against him. And those that trouble me rejoice when I am moved. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. Again, in Psalm chapter 35, verses 15 through 19, David still asked the question when he said, But in mine adversity they rejoiced, and gathered themselves together. Yea, abjects gathered themselves together against me, and I knew it not. They did, not tear, they did tear me and cease not with hypocritical mockers in feasts. They gnashed upon me with their teeth. Lord, how long wilt thou look on? Rescue my soul from their destructions, my darling from the lions. I will give thee thanks in the great congregation. I will praise thee among much people. Let not them that are mine enemies wrongfully rejoice over me, neither let them wink with the eye that hate me without a cause. You see, it wasn't just you that's asked the question. Job did. Moses did. David did. Asaph asked the question in Psalm 74, verses 7 through 12. He said, they have cast fire into thy sanctuary. See how familiar this sounds. 
see how similar this sounds to what's happening in the Middle East and in Israel right now. They have cast fire into thy sanctuary. They have defiled by casting down the dwelling place of thy name to the ground. They said in their hearts, let us destroy them together. They have burned up all the synagogues of God in the land. We see not our signs. There is no more any prophet, neither is there among us any that knoweth how long. O God, how long shall the adversary reproach? Shall the enemy blaspheme thy name forever? Why withdrawest thou thy hand, even thy right hand? Pluck it out of thy bosom, for God is my king of old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. In Psalm 79, verses 1 through 9, Asaph continued by asking the question. He said, O God, the heathen are coming to thine inheritance. Thy holy temple have they defiled. They have laid Jerusalem on heaps. The dead bodies of thy servants have they given to be meat unto the fowls of the heaven, the flesh of thy saints unto the beasts of the earth. Their blood have they shed like water round about Jerusalem, and there was none to bury them. We are become a reproach to our neighbors, a scorn and derision to them that are round about us. How long, Lord, wilt thou be angry forever? Shall thy jealousy burn like fire? Pour out thy wrath upon the heathen that have not known thee and upon the kingdoms that have not called upon thy name. For they have devoured Jacob and laid waste his dwelling place. Oh, remember not against us former iniquities. Let thy tender mercies speedily prevent us for we are brought very low. Help us, O God of our salvation, for the glory of thy name and deliver us and purge away our sins for thy name's sake. Asaph was a man who walked with God and he knew how to ask the right questions and he knew how to pivot from asking the question how long to trusting in God and his greatness. In Psalm 81 through 4, Asaph asked again, he said, give ear, O shepherd of Israel. Thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up thy strength and come and save us. Turn us again, O God, and cause thy face to shine and we shall be saved. O Lord God of hosts, how long wilt thou be angry against the prayer of thy people? Sounds like it wasn't just us asking the question. Sounds like it's not just somebody here at Platte Valley Baptist Church asking the question. Did you know Ethan the Ezraite asked the question? In Psalm 89, verses 46 through 50, he said, How long, Lord? Wilt thou hide thyself forever? Shall thy wrath burn like fire? Remember how short my time is. Wherefore hast thou made all men in vain? What man is he that liveth and shall not see death? Shall he deliver his soul from the hand of the grave? Selah. Lord, where are thy former loving kindnesses? which thou swearest unto David in thy truth. Remember, Lord, the reproach of thy servants, how I do bear in my bosom the reproach of all the mighty people. If that weren't enough in Psalm chapter 94, the Bible says the psalmist asked, he says, O Lord God, to whom vengeance belongeth, O God, to whom vengeance belongeth, show thyself. Lift up thyself, thou judge of the earth. Render a reward to the proud. Lord, how long shall the wicked, how long shall the wicked triumph? How long shall they utter wicked? How long shall they utter and speak hard things? And all the workers of iniquity boast themselves. They break in pieces thy people, O Lord, and afflict thine heritage. They slay the widow and the stranger and murder the fatherless. Yet they say, the Lord shall not see. Neither shall the God of Jacob regard it. Understand ye brutish among the people. And ye fools, when will ye be wise? He that planted the ears, shall he not hear? He that formed the eyes, shall he not see? He that chastiseth the heathen, shall he not correct? 
correct? He that teacheth man knowledge, shall not he know? The Lord knoweth the thoughts of man, that they are vanity. Blessed is the man whom thou chastenest, chastenest, O Lord, and teachest him out of thy law, that thou mayest give him rest from the days of adversity until the pit be digged for the wicked. For the Lord will not cast off his people, neither will he forsake the inheritance, but judgment shall return unto righteousness, and all the upright in heart shall follow it. Did you know that even the prophets asked? In the book of Isaiah 6, verses 8 through 11, when God gave Isaiah his marching orders, in Isaiah 6, 8 through 11, he says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not. And see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and convert and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. Then said I, Lord, how long? And he answered, Until the cities be wasted without inhabitant and the houses without man and the land be utterly desolate. Boy, can you imagine that being your calling, preacher? Jeremiah the prophet in Jeremiah 47, 6 and 7 asked, he said, O thou sword of the Lord, how long will it be ere thou be quiet? Put up thyself into thy scabbard, rest and be still. How can it be quiet, seeing the Lord hath given it a charge against Ascalon and against the seashore? There hath he appointed it. Daniel asked the question in Daniel chapter 12 when these things that were given to him in prophecy from Daniel chapter 7 to Daniel chapter 12 were hard to understand. The Bible says the angel said, but thou, O Daniel, shut up the words and seal the book even to the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall be increased. Then I, Daniel, looked and behold, there stood other two, the one on this side of the bank of the river and the other on that side of the bank of the river. And one said to the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, how how long shall it be to the end of these wonders? And I heard the man clothed in linen, which was upon the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand unto heaven, and swear by him that liveth forever and ever, that it shall be for a time, times, and a, and a half. And when he shall have accomplished to scatter the power of the holy people, all these things shall be finished. And I heard, but I understood not. Then said I, O my Lord, what shall be the end of these things? And he said, listen, sometimes this is God's answer to our question, how long? He said, go thy way, Daniel. For the words are closed up and sealed till the time of the end. Many shall be purified and made white and tried, but the wicked shall do wickedly, and none of the wicked shall understand, but the wise shall understand. He said, you keep walking with God and you go on and live for the Lord. He said, you'll understand it if I want to, but you, go, you don't have to understand everything. Daniel asked, did you know that in Habakkuk 1, 1 through 5, Habakkuk asked, the burden which Habakkuk the prophet did see, O Lord, how long shall I cry, and thou wilt not hear, even cry out unto thee of violence, and thou wilt not save? Why dost thou show me iniquity, and cause me to behold grievance, if for spoiling and violence are before me, and there are that raise up strife and contention, therefore the law is slacked, and judgment doth never go forth. Does that sound like our society? For the wicked doth come pass about the righteous, therefore wrong judgment proceedeth. Behold ye among the heathen in regard, and wonder marvelously, for I will work a work in your days which ye will not believe, though it be told you. Did you know that the angel asked? In Zechariah 1, 12 and 13, then the angel of the Lord answered and said, O Lord of hosts, how long wilt thou not have mercy on Jerusalem and on the cities of Judah against which thou hast had indignation these three score and ten years? And the Lord answered the angel that talked with me with good words and comfortable words. 
Did you know that in 1 Peter chapter 3 or 2 Peter 3, 3 and 4, the scoffers asked when they said, when the Bible says, knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers walking after their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Well, the scoffers aren't going to believe the Lord. Did you know that John the Apostle asked? In Revelation chapter 6 and verses 10 and 11, look at it. Revelation 6 verses 10 and 11. Quickly notice what the Bible says. In Revelation 6, 10 and 11, it says they cried with a loud voice. Notice please verse number 9. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. You see, even the martyrs ask the question in the book of Revelation. You see, all these questions are, are, are okay to ask. And certainly we feel the burden of the wickedness of this world and we see righteousness seemingly fail and, and wickedness seemingly prevail and we see men wicked in high places getting away with murder, literally getting away with murder and nobody seems to have any honor and nobody seems to have any character and very few people seem to stand up against the tide of evil in our day and we cry out and we say, oh Lord, how long, how much longer can this world go on like this? How much longer must we endure? But I want to give you some perspective as you've been looking at your circumstances and asking the question, I wonder what our believers, brothers and sisters in China are asking. When they can't meet like this. And they can't eat like this. And they have to come in code and they have to come staggered and they have to come secretly and they have to come in small groups. I wonder if they're asking over there in China, the believers, how long? I wonder if our believers in Kazakhstan, I got an email or a message from somebody in Kazakhstan last night, even during the service. I wonder if those who are under Muslim persecution, I wonder if they're asking how long? I wonder if our underground believers in Iran are asking, Lord, how long? I wonder if the believers in Ukraine, while the bombs are dropping, are asking how long? I wonder if the believers who are all just because of what's going on in Russia are asking, how long? How long, Lord? How long can this go on? How long can we endure? How long? Know that your circumstance may be bad, but it's probably not as bad as somebody else in this world that's struggling and going through difficulties. We're all asking the question, how long? But that's because we're looking at the circumstances around us. I want to move us tonight from how long to hallelujah. I want to move us tonight from looking at our circumstances right here, lifting our eyes and looking on the hills from whence cometh our help. And I want you to see what the Bible says in Revelation 4. Would you look at what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 4? Notice what the scripture says in verses 1 through 3. After this I looked and I beheld, and behold, a door was opened in heaven, and the first voice which I heard was as it were of a trumpet talking with me, which said, Come up hither, and I will show thee things which must be hereafter. And immediately I was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and one sat on the throne, and he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and sardine stone, and there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald, and the four beasts had each of them, verse 8, each of them six wings 
things about him, and they were full of eyes within, and they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And when those beasts give glory uh, and honor and thanks to him that sat on the throne, who liveth forever and ever, the four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the Lord, saying, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. You see, ladies and gentlemen, we need to turn our question from how long and from the minor key and from the struggles from looking at the circumstances around us to the hallelujah of heaven. And we might as well get ready right now because we're all going to be part of the choir. I know some of you, when Brother Paul calls for a choir, you're, you're hiding. You're getting coffee. Uh, you're getting another cinnamon roll. You're, you're, you're doing something else because you don't want to be part of the choir. I, I asked Pastor Monday tonight. I said, Pastor, I think we should have a men's choir or men's quartet. And I think you should sing. He said, not me. So he's right up there with you getting a cinnamon roll and getting another coffee. He said, oh, no, no, these, these crazy evangelists traveling all over the country trying to enlist me in the choir. All I'm going to do, when I sing, the angels are going to fold their wings. Heaven is going to weep. Oh, no, I'm not being part of that choir. Well, you better get in practice because you're going to be part of the choir up there. And when we get up into the heavenly choir up there, notice what the Bible says in Revelation chapter 5. Revelation chapter 5, the Bible says in verse number 11, I beheld and I heard the voice of many angels round about the throne and though uh, the beasts and the elders and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them heard I saying blessing and honor and glory and power be unto him that sitteth upon the throne and unto the lamb forever and ever ladies and gentlemen you know what the hallelujah comes from it doesn't come from focusing on your circumstance it comes from focus upon your savior it doesn't come from focusing on your trouble it comes from focusing upon the one who delivers us from trouble it comes from focusing upon jesus 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 sweetest name i know fills my every longing and keeps me singing as i go we're going to be singing this in heaven Worthy is the Lamb, worthy and glory and honor and blessing and power be unto him. In Revelation chapter 6, you have the four horsemen. In Revelation chapter 7 and 8, you have the uh, untold judgments that come with the water turning to blood and, and the stars turning to darkness and, the, and the, the rivers turning to wormwood. And you have the stars turning to darkness and the moon darkened. You, you have one-third of the population dying. In Revelation chapter 9 and 10, you have judgments. In Revelation chapter 11, you have the two witnesses that stand and preach fearlessly for three and a half years every single day it's the longest extended meeting in the history of the world and then in revelation chapter number 12 and 13 you have more judgments and vials poured out and trumpets sounding and you have 144,000 that are traveling around the globe that are converted and they go traveling preaching the gospel and more people get saved at this time than at any other time in history in revelation chapter 15 and 16 and 17 you've got the judgment of god coming down and chapter 18 down upon babylon and god upturning the system of the world economically and the systems of the world spiritually and then in revelation chapter 19 would you turn 
because all of a sudden now the battle of Armageddon is in full swing and the Antichrist is there and he comes in Revelation chapter 19 and Revelation chapter 19, oh, he begins to, to show his mighty power. The Bible says that Antichrist shows his mighty power there in the valley of Megiddo and he thinks he's going to take on God himself and he's arrogant and conceited enough to think he can take on God himself and God obliges him. And Jesus Christ comes back and he splits the heaven and he comes down on a white horse, verse number 11. Revelation 19, I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he that sat upon him was called faithful and true and in righteousness he doth judge and make war. His eyes were as a flame of fire and on his head were many crowns and he had a name written that no man knew but he himself and he was clothed with a vesture dipped in blood and his name is called the word of God. And the armies which were in heaven followed him upon white horses clothed in fine linen, white and clean, and out of his mouth goeth a sharp sword, that with it he should smite the nations, and he shall rule them with a rod of iron, and he treadeth the fierceness, or winepress of the fierceness of the wrath of Almighty God, and he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. You say, what's Jesus going to do? He's going to do battle royale with the Antichrist. He's going to step his foot down on the Mount of Olives. He's going to split it in two and march right through the eastern gate. They tell us that the Muslims have the eastern gate all blocked up with center blocks just to keep that from happening well i've got news for them it's going to take a whole lot more than center block to keep jesus from coming and ruling on the throne of david and when he rules on the throne of david he will do so for a thousand years ladies and gentlemen we're not the losers in this battle if you've trusted Jesus Christ as, as your Savior, you're not defeated in this battle. You're the one who is following the captain of our salvation, and he won it all when he died on the cross. I want you to know we need to turn our question, how long that goes along in minor keys and groans with the earth that travails together in groaning until now, and we need to change it to hallelujah so we can get practiced up for the great hallelujah choir. Because when Jesus rules and reigns, it's going to be a thousand years of peace on this earth and untold blessing and untold joy and heaven hasn't even begun yet. I'd say tonight would be a good night to turn our how long to hallelujah. Would you bow with me in prayer? Lord Jesus, we thank you for the privilege you've given to us to be here. Lord, I pray that you'd lift the hearts and woes and burdens of those that are here that are struggling I know there's grief I know there's difficulty in this place I know there's some who've gone through great valleys of sorrow in the last few years maybe some are right now going through it Lord help us to turn our eyes from these circumstances to let you reach down and dry our tears and Lord help us to replace our questions with a firm conviction and a chorus of hallelujah we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand together with me? Everybody standing. We're going to sing our chorus for the last time tonight. You're doing a great job. Doing a great job. Paul let you off easy last night, but you got me on the final night. So I'd like to be the first one. Paul and I are always in a race. See who can get there first. At least I am. Paul's probably more spiritual than me, but it's always great joy to my heart when I beat Brother Paul. And so I might be the first one to see someone pass out. That'd bring me great joy. Let's sing it out. All the bases start. Then the tenors join. The altos join. 
And then the sopranos. If you don't know what you are, just pick a part and hit it. Here we go. Ready? Behold, he comes. Behold, he comes. Behold, he comes. Behold, he comes. And every eye shall see him. Friend, will you be ready when Jesus comes? Sounds like a, a song to sing every day, every service for a while. That's a good song. Let's try it again. Ready? Here we go. Behold, he comes. Behold, he comes. Behold, he comes. Behold, he comes. And every eye shall see him. Friend, will you be ready when comes. If you want the intermission and you're looking to get a cinnamon roll, now's the time to move. Otherwise, everybody have a seat. The Smith boys are coming. Andrew. And I hope that you will pray for us. you'll pray for us as we travel when we leave Saturday that God will give us safety and uh, pray for Peter he's not here with us this is the first time that Peter hasn't been with us he's back at college and uh, you pray for him as he's back there serving the Lord and training and uh, I hope you'll enjoy the song about Jesus and what a wonderful Savior is Jesus and me Travel along upon this lonesome way. My burdens were heavy and darkened my day. I looked for a friend, not knowing that he had all the time been looking for me.
That's where we're going to start, all right? Revelation chapter 19 in the Word of God. Thank you so much for this meeting. It's been a different meeting from what we have done in the past, but I think that's good. I'd hate to be in a rut. One man said a rut is a grave with two ends kicked out of it, and I don't want to get in that. And so it's, it's good to be with you here. It's been a good meeting. I like focusing on the soon return of our Savior. It has helped me. And I trust that it has helped you. We're in Revelation chapter 19 tonight. I want to begin our reading with verse 1. Revelation 19 and verse 1. The scripture says, And after these things I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are His judgments. For he hath judged the great whore, which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. And again they said, Alleluia. And her smoke rose up forever and ever. Father, help us tonight in this, the final preaching opportunity of, the, of this meeting. I pray, Father, for all of those who are here all those who are listening online, I pray that the work spiritually that needs to be done in our hearts would be done. And we pray that you'd encourage and strengthen those who need to be encouraged and strengthened. And I pray that you'd save those who may be here tonight and need to be saved. We'll thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen. When we come to Revelation chapter 19, we are coming to the details and the uh, beginning of one of the great events in all the entire Bible. As we look at end-time events, we need to understand that Jesus Christ is coming to this earth to physically rule and to reign. 
Revelation 19 talks about that. The reign of the Lord Jesus Christ, the millennial reign of Christ, is something to which all creation is looking. The Bible talks about in the book of Romans chapter 8, all creation is groaning and travailing, waiting for the redemption of the purchased possession. What does the Apostle Paul mean? He means that they are waiting for the day when Jesus will step onto this earth and he will rule and reign for a thousand years. Do you understand as we are looking toward a presidential election year, as we have just finished an election day throughout much of the United States of America, do you realize there will come a day in the future when elections will be no more? Now, I don't know about you, but that's good news for me because about this time next year, I will be sick and tired of election ads. Somebody say amen right there, right? You've been in those states where people from California are pouring their money into the congressional race of the state of Wyoming. What's that all about? I don't understand that. If these people aren't going to represent you, why are you paying to try to get them elected? That's a question that goes through my mind. I remember the last presidential election leading up to it, the last presidential election, I happened to be in a place called Fort Morgan, Colorado, and uh, we had to go out and kill a bunch of rabbits, as I recall, the day after that election was announced. But anyway, uh, I, before leading up to that, I was in the state of Montana for several meetings straight. And you know, they, were, they had all kinds of money pouring into the state of Montana from people who didn't live in Montana trying to convince Montanans to vote for this candidate or that candidate. What an absolute circus. As a matter of fact, it doesn't matter where you go in the governments of this world. You look around and, man, it's a disaster just about everywhere you look. If you think that our, our nation is a bad thing, you ought to go to some of the countries of Europe. You ought to see what's going on in Europe. If you think that, that the, the Department of Motor Vehicles in the state of Colorado is inefficient and the people there are not the hardest workers in the world, you should go to some of the bureaucracies of Europe. Oh, I want to tell you, they're everywhere we look, government is a mess. But the good news is, one day the Lord Jesus is going to come and He's going to reign. You're not going to get a vote. I'm not going to get a vote. He's going to reign as the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Now, when we come to Revelation chapter 19, there are two vantage points, two views uh, through, uh, through which we can see the reign of Jesus Christ. The first is a heavenly viewpoint. That's in Revelation chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. The second is an earthly viewpoint, and that is from uh, verse 11 and following. I would like us to note three very simple aspects of the, the earthly reign of the Lord Jesus Christ tonight. I want you to see, number one from this passage of Scripture, the preparation for His reign. The preparation for His reign. We've read the verses, but let's notice again what it says in verse 1. After these things, I heard a great voice of much people in heaven saying, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. For true and righteous are His judgments. Now notice this. This is the preparation that our Lord has done. We're viewing it right now from a heavenly viewpoint, but this is the preparation. Here it is. He hath judged the great whore. That sit it, which did which did corrupt the earth with her fornication, and hath avenged the blood of his servants at her hand. 
Now, you're here in the book of Revelation. Would you go over to the book of Revelation chapter 17, please? Revelation chapter 17. When the Bible speaks of the great whore, this is a, a person that is introduced to you and to me in Revelation chapter 17. Notice what the Bible says in verse 1. It says, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither. I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. Now I want you to notice several things about this person and what the Bible is trying to talk to us about regarding this woman. Number one, I want you to notice the symbolism of this woman that is known as the great whore. Now, you and I probably don't use that kind of language very often in our conversation, if at all. But the symbolism here is of a woman who has been sexually unfaithful. Okay, We understand that from the meaning of the word. Understand in Bible prophecy, whenever you have a sexually unfaithful woman referred to in Bible prophecy, it is always speaking of a false religious system. It's always speaking of false religion. Now, I've heard that all of my life, but uh, I've never heard a proof of it, so I'm going to give you a little bit of a proof tonight. I would not recommend that you turn to these references, but if you wish to write them down for further study, it might be a good idea. Isaiah 57.3, the Bible speaks of sons of the sorceress, the seed of the adulterer and the whore. Isaiah 57 and verse 5, how do we know they were the seed of the adulterer and the whore? Because they were inflaming themselves with idols, the Bible says, and that's why they are referred to as the offspring of an unfaithful woman. The Bible says in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 3 and verse 9, it came to pass through the lightness of her whoredom, the Bible says, that she defiled the land and committed adultery, not with people, but with stones and with stocks. Now, what does that mean? That means that the, the Bible is referring to the people as, as, a, as an unfaithful woman, and they're doing so because they're committing adultery with stones and stocks. What were they doing? They were, they were making themselves idols. So again, what do you have? You have an unfaithful woman, and you have a false religion. You go to the book of Ezekiel, and this, this language is all over the book of Ezekiel. It's all over the book of Ezekiel, chapter 16. I'll just give you one verse, verse 36. The Bible says, There are whoredoms, and all the idols of thy abominations. The two go together. And so, uh, Ezekiel 23, again, it's all over the place. What do we have in Revelation, chapter 17? We have Bible prophecy with a woman who has been sexually unfaithful. It means a false religious system. Now, I'm going to tell you something. The religions of this world would love to come together and form one. Now, you look at that and you say, well, I don't know, Brother Paul. Are you familiar, are, are you aware that in the United States of America, there is something known as the National Council of Churches? Now, the Platte Valley Baptist Church does not belong to the National Council of Churches. There, uh, there, is, a, there is a world council of churches. The Platte Valley Baptist Church doesn't belong to that either. And the reason this church does not belong to those councils is that those councils want to get together and they want to have some kind of religious experience, but they want to make certain that they exclude the Bible 
and they want to make certain that they exclude Jesus Christ. So when you come to Revelation chapter 17, you have false religion. And I want to say to you, maybe I'm preaching to somebody here today, and, uh, and you've always considered yourself a religious person. And you think to yourself, well, Brother Paul, doesn't the fact that I'm in church on a Wednesday night prove that I'm a religious person? Uh, you, may, you may have some respect for religion, but can I tell you something? Religion without the Bible and religion without Jesus Christ is only going to take a man or a woman straight to a devil's hell. And in the end times, the Bible says there will come a religious system. It's going to be without the Bible. It's going to be without Jesus Christ. And it's going to rise up and it's going to take religious control over much of the world. And that's what the Bible is referencing in Revelation chapter 17. And we're speaking of the preparation for Jesus' reign. The Bible says he's judged this woman. We've seen her symbolism. I want you to notice her situation. We're in Revelation 17 now. Note verse 2. The Bible says, With whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Verse 3. Uh, the Bible says, So he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet-colored beast, full of names of blasphemy, having seven heads and ten horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color, and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. I want you to notice her situation. She is wealthy and she is powerful. It's pretty, pretty easy to see that, isn't it? She is clothed with purple and scarlet, and she rides on a scarlet beast, and she has a golden cup in her hand. This, this uh, one-world false religious system is very wealthy and very powerful. There's the symbolism. There's the situation, uh, how she's situated. I want you to notice her sin. Notice her sin. The Bible speaks of it. Verse 5, the Scripture says, And upon her forehead was a name written, watch this, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. Now, I do not have time tonight to go back and show you how that Babylon and the nation of Babylon is the fountainhead of so many of the wicked false religions of this world. Hold on. Wait a minute. Even some of the doctrines of the Roman Catholic Church can be traced to ancient Babylon. If you write in your notes, you might write down this, uh, this reference, Ezekiel chapter 8. Ezekiel chapter 8, you're going to find a name by the name of Tammuz, T-A-M-M-U-Z. Tammuz, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of uh, difficulty unearthing exactly what it was, but as nearly as we can find out, it was the worship of this boy who was born of a virgin. You say, Brother Paul, really? Yes, the Tammuz, uh, Tammuz was allegedly born of a virgin. It was part of a, of a phony, false religious system concocted by Satan and brought to the world through the ancient city of Babylon. It had weaseled its way into the people of God so that in Ezekiel chapter 8, he sees God's people involved in false religion. But I want you to understand that fountainhead of false religion is going to continue. It's going to gain power. You understand the Muslim religion? What is the symbol of the Muslim religion tonight? Is it not, among other things, a crescent moon? 
You ever notice that? It's a symbol of Islam. The crescent moon. What is the crescent moon? It's another part of this false religious system that all stems from Babylon. And so there the Bible tells us there is sin involved with this religious system. Notice the sin. In verse 5, this woman is immoral. You see that? Notice what it says. Here's her name, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots. Now you mark my words. One of the ways that you can differentiate a true religious system from a false religious system is that a true religious system, something that, is, that holds to the truth, will always have a right view of human sexuality. What's the right view? Human sexuality was created by God. It's one man and one woman who were married to each other. It's just that simple. This human sexuality. Anything outside of that is wrong. It is abomination. It is fornication in the sight of Almighty God. But you mark this, and you mark this well. Anytime you have false religion, you also have immorality. That's they, the, the two go hand in hand. What is what are the Muslim martyrs promised? They're promised that if they give their lives for Islam, that they will go to some sort of paradise where 40 virgins will be given them. What is that? That is your promise of paradise, immorality. But that's the way false religions do. You study the religion of Mormonism, you're going to find there's immorality. It's rife in Joseph Smith. It's rife with Brigham Young. Hear me, you've studied some of the other false religions of the world. When I, I was preaching in uh, Minnesota a couple years ago, and uh, there was a fellow that came to me, and he wanted to, he wanted to get the, the scoop on me. He had his claim to fame because he had gone after the Archdiocese of St. Paul, Minnesota, because the Roman Catholic priests had been involved in all kinds of immorality, and the, and the archdiocese had covered it up for years. What am I saying? I'm saying that part of false religion is immorality. Now, wait a minute. You may hear of a Baptist who's involved in immorality because we're all flesh. But let me say, God help you and me that when we find the sin and the iniquity, we root it out and we deal with it properly. And I want to say this too. If you're here and you're living in immorality and you claim to be saved, it's time for you to get right with God. Ephesians 4, 17 through 19, this I say therefore and testify in the Lord Jesus that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk in the vanity of their mind, having the understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God which is in them. The, uh, the Bible says they being past feeling. They have given themselves over to unclean, to lasciviousness, to work all uncleanness with greediness. What is he saying? He's saying the depths of immorality to which the unsaved world goes ought not characterize the child of God. The Bible says in Romans chapter 14, that, uh, 13 that you and I are not to be living in chambering and wantonness. Many, many are the people that grow up in churches like this, and when they get 18 or 19 or maybe it's 22 or 24 years of age, they go off and they say, well, I'm going to move in with my girlfriend or I'm going to move in with my boyfriend. And God help us, we have parents that say, well, I think it's a good idea so you can find out if you're compatible. It's not a good idea. That's not the way you find out about it. You find out about it by being moral and being right in the sight of Almighty God. But you mark it down, there's this false religious system coming, and it is the fountainhead of all immorality. 
Her sin is, number one, that she's immoral. Her sin, number two, she's implacable. Look at verse 6. I saw the woman drunken. She's not drunken with alcohol. She's drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered with great admiration. That doesn't mean that he thinks to himself, wow, I wish I could be like her. That means he thinks to himself, wow, who has the power to stand against this? Can I answer that question for you? Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Because in heaven, they have been asking the question that Brother Dwight preached about just a moment ago. They've been asking the question, how long? The blood of the martyrs of Jesus, all of these people who have been saved, all of these people who were doing right. I want to tell you something. All of us go through periods of time where we raise our hands to the heavens and ask how long. And yet, when we come to Revelation chapter 19, what do we find? We find that Jesus Christ has come in and he said, I want you to understand something. Before I step foot on the Mount of Olives and before I come to rule and to reign, I will judge this false religious system. Let me tell you something. If you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as Savior, you better get saved while you have the opportunity because you don't want to be part of this false religious system. You don't want to be in this, in the, this, whole, this whole conglomeration when the judgment of Almighty God falls upon it. Go back, please, to Revelation chapter 19. Would you do that? There's the preparation for His reign. But I want you to notice something very prominently figured in this passage of Scripture. There's a praise because of His reign. There's a praise because of His reign. We've seen it in verse 1 where it says, Alleluia, salvation and glory and honor and power unto the Lord our God. And the, the Bible says in verse 3, again they said, Alleluia. Look at verse 4, the four and twenty elders and the four beasts fell down and worshipped God that sat on the throne saying, Amen. That means may it be true. Hallelujah. That means praise the Lord. Look at, verse, uh, look at verse 5, a voice came out of the throne saying, Praise our God, all ye His servants, and ye that fear Him both small and great. And I heard as it were the voice of a great multitude and as the voice of many waters and as the voice of mighty thundering saying, Hallelujah, for the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Now I want you to listen carefully to me, very, very carefully. The Lord Jesus taught us a little bit about what we're talking about here. Remember, the Lord Jesus taught his disciples. They came to him and they said, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples. So what was the Lord's answer? When ye pray, say, pray, saying, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. What are the next words? Thy kingdom come. I want to ask you. Did you think about the coming kingdom of God this morning as you bent on your knees to pray? You know what I woke up to this morning? I woke up to a friend of mine, exasperated about the results of the election that took place yesterday in his state. That's one of the things I woke up to. But you know, something had already happened in me. 
Because by the time I read his text, I had already spent time walking around Brush, Colorado. About four miles I did. I don't know how long it was. That's not the important part. The important part is I was going through every phrase of the Lord's Prayer. And there's a time, Pastor Monday, when as I think about all of the corruption in this nation and all of the problems in the Middle East and, and Hamas and the, and the wickedness of Iran and all of that, I have a time where I can just breathe as I say to my God and King, dear God, thy kingdom come. And you know what? Whenever I focus on the fact that his kingdom is coming and there's nothing that Hamas or the Ayatollah or any of the other rest of the world can do to stop it, whenever I focus on that, there's a calm that comes to my soul. There's a confidence that comes to my faith. Thy kingdom come. And you know what inevitably happens to me, Brother Dwight? I raise my hands. It's dark. Nobody thinks I'm charismatic. I raise my hands as I'm walking and I say, Thank you, God, that you are the coming king. I want you to know that you and I ought to get in the habit of praising Him because His kingdom is coming. As you study the book of Revelation, I understand you're doing it in, I don't know if it's Sunday night or when it is, here at the Platte Valley Baptist Church. Take some time to notice how many times the Apostle John just stops in the narrative to praise our God. There's a preparation for His reign. There's a praise because of his reign. Notice there's the four beasts, the beings who praise God's holiness, the four and twenty elders. I personally believe that refers to symbolically to the local church. You can disagree with me if you like. But if you're right and I'm wrong, when we get to heaven, you won't gloat. Anyway, the, the Bible tells us there's some praise because of his reign. I want you to notice in closing there's some provisions of his reign. Notice what the Bible says. The Bible says in verse 7, Let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to Him. Notice this. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and His wife hath made herself ready. Now, we're looking now at the provisions of this reign. Remember, this is being viewed from the heavenly viewpoint. And so, as we look at this, there, everyone in heaven is looking, hey, there's a marriage coming, the marriage supper of the Lamb. I want you to notice several provisions of the, of the, of the kingdom. Number one, there's a provision of a relationship. You see that in verse 7. You've got, you've got the, the Lord there, you've got the, the Lamb, and then you've got His wife. That's a relationship. We understand relationships uh, with a husband and wife, at least I hope we do. But there's no greater picture in all of human relationships of the, the Lord Jesus and His bride than a, a man and his wife. That's just the way it's supposed to be. Now, God help us. Sometimes our relationship is a good picture, and sometimes it's a picture that... Uh, Ah, needs a little touching up. But uh, that's what the Bible says. The reality is there is a potential for you to have a personal relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Wow. And the Bible says we're talking about the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ when He's going to rule and reign. But before we get into that, let us not forget that the, the king is also a lamb. Every time you read that word lamb referring to Jesus Christ in the book of Revelation, you just understand it emphasizes the fact that one day Jesus left the portals of glory. It emphasizes the fact that he became a man just like me. 
and just like you. It emphasizes the fact that for 33 years he lived on this earth. Not one time did he ever think a dirty thought. Not one time did he ever say an unkind word. Let me just give it to you through the words of Simon Peter, who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. When he suffered, or when he was reviled, he reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. And then here it is, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree. That we, being dead to sins, might live unto righteousness, by whose stripes ye were healed. Can I tell you, if you're here without the Lord Jesus, I want you to know the Bible is going to give Jesus Christ all kinds of names in Revelation chapter 19. But one of the, one of the names with which he starts this whole thing is the name Lamb. It emphasizes that Jesus Christ was taken to the place called Calvary, and there Jesus Christ bore your sin and mine in himself. And today... To all who will believe him, salvation is offered as a free gift. You say, Brother Paul, a free gift? Well, it's not, it's not free to him. It cost him everything, but it's free to you, and it's free to me. You see, the price has been paid. The, the, the cost has been met, and today you and I can be saved. We can have a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's one of the provisions here that's given to us in Revelation 19. Not only a relationship, but there's also the provision of raiment. It goes along very closely. Notice what it says in verse 8. And to her, that is, the wife of the Lamb, to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white for the fine linen is the righteousness of saints can I tell you a little bit about the fine linen the fine linen speaks of the fact that Jesus Christ has perfect righteousness it was purchased for you and for me there is no stain there is no spot on it you see when I came to Jesus with all of my sin he took all of my sin and he washed it away in his red blood but wait a minute that's not the end of it in my place in my record on high tonight there is not one single sin on my record instead there is the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ it has been imputed to my account and one day before the coming of the Lord Jesus to set up his kingdom you and I who have been saved will cast off whatever other raiment we have known and we will be clad outwardly and visibly in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you what that means. Since you've been saved, you've sinned. So have I. But on that day, you won't know anything about any of those sins because in its place will be the perfect raiment and righteousness of Jesus Christ. We're speaking of provisions of His reign. Let's go on. The Bible says not only is there the raiment, but there's also absolute righteousness. Now, what do you mean by that, Brother Paul? Look at verse 11. Brother Dwight's read it already. But notice it says, I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. And he that sat on him was called Faithful and True. And notice, in righteousness doth he judge and make war. How many of you in the last 12 months have seen things on this earth and you've said to yourself, that was not a righteous judgment? Have you seen anything like that? Have you read anything about that in the news? Have you ever looked around and said, these people have power, but what they're doing is not right? 
And I tell you, when you and I see that, something rises within us. And we ask the question that Brother Dwight alluded to, how long? Let me just tell you, I don't know when. I don't know the answer to how long. But I do know this. When Jesus comes, one of the provisions of his reign is, in righteousness will he judge. (laughs) No more paying off the prosecutor. No more paying off to have such and such a judge in place. No, no, no. That's going to be a thing of the past because one of the provisions of the reign of our Savior is that there will be righteousness. I wish I had time to go through the Psalms and talk to you from Psalm 85 about how righteousness and peace have kissed each other. How righteousness, when it prevails in the land, is a wonderful thing and it brings peace. I wish I could talk to you about the time that they'll beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. We passed the Minutemen silos today as we were on one of our ministerial uh, uh, excursions and the reality is one day they're going to dig up the Minutemen silo. They're going to say, we don't need weapons of war anymore. Let's take these and make them into agricultural instruments to feed people rather than to kill people. That's coming when Jesus reigns on this earth in righteousness. There's the righteousness that's there. But I want you in closing to look over the, as we look at the provision of his reign. Revelation chapter 20. Would you look there please? Revelation chapter 20. Obviously I've omitted a lot. But that's why you have a pastor. And that's why he goes verse by verse through the book of Revelation. And he's not going to miss it. As long as you're faithful you'll get to hear what he has to say. You'll, you won't have an evangelist jumping around and skipping over things, all right? Revelation chapter 20, notice verse 4. John is speaking, I saw thrones, and they sat upon them. And judgment was given unto them. Who are they? Who are the them? Well, let's keep reading. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. As I look at the provisions of his reign, there's a provision of a relationship, the provision of raiment, the provision of righteousness, but can I tell you, there's a provision of a reward. And we've been saying all through this prophecy revival, I'm not going to call it a conference, okay? It's a revival meeting. Are we dealing with prophecy? Yes, we are. But we're dealing with prophecy so that every one of us can ask ourselves this question. Because Jesus is coming again, what can I do today to please Him today? Oh, I don't have time to go into all of the Bible doctrine concerning our rewards, but we, it's already been established in this meeting. What I do on this day will affect what happens on that day. I wonder, child of God, have you been coming to this meeting? Have you been hearing some of the details? Maybe many of the details were reviewed to you, but maybe some of them were new. But have you been coming, and have you just been putting it off? Have you been putting off uh, uh, witnessing to that coworker? You felt the promptings of the Holy Spirit. You've heard the preaching. You've heard the, 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 the tools have been given to you, but you've just put it off. Ah, maybe something has gotten in your way. Maybe some personality. Let me tell you something. Jesus is coming again, and the Bible says His reward is with Him. And if you're here tonight and you know Jesus Christ as Savior, but you've not, you're not given your all to serve Him, 
It's time to get in. It's time to serve him with everything that you have. Because on that day when Jesus rules and reigns on this earth, as we have been faithful to him, we will have opportunity to reign as well. Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to look at end time events. Lord, I thank you for the time that you will come and you will rule and reign on this earth. It comforts our hearts. But Father, I pray that you would work now in all of our hearts in this time of invitation. Just now, every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I just have a few questions to ask you. I want to ask you, how many of you say, you know, Brother Paul, I know Christ is Savior. But just to hear a little bit about the coming kingdom of Jesus Christ has really encouraged my heart tonight. And I want to raise my hand as a testimony to say, God has encouraged me to hear about Jesus and his coming reign. If that describes you, would you just put up your hand? Thank God. Thank God. It is encouraging, isn't it? Thank you. You can put those down. I wonder, maybe, maybe there's somebody sitting here tonight and God has spoken to your heart as a child of God. And you say, you know, Brother Paul, all week long God has been prodding and just, just kind of gently nudging my heart because there's some things that I need to change in light of the fact that Jesus is coming again. Now listen, I could have you raise your hand. There's nothing wrong with that ever. But I would rather your life change than that your hand raise. And if God has spoken to you in this time of invitation, I would invite you to just obey the Lord. In a moment, you're going to hear the musicians begin a song of invitation. You, if you want to come out and come forward and get right with God right now, you're welcome to move right now. If you want to wait till you hear the music, that's fine too. But if God has spoken to your heart, it's time for action. The time for inaction is past. Jesus is coming again, and you and I ought to act on that basis. One final question. Would there be someone here tonight you'd say, Brother Paul, I'm not sure that I'm saved. If Jesus were to come back, I don't, I don't know what would happen to me. I just, I, I just don't know. I'm, I couldn't give you a Bible reason why I know that I'm saved. But I'm concerned about that, Brother Paul. Now, just now, Pastor Monday and I, are looking for hands. If you're here tonight and God has spoken to your heart, you're not sure that you're saved, would you, just, would you just lift your hand and keep it up for a moment? Would you do that? Anyone like that this evening? Just lift that hand and keep it up for a moment. All right, may we stand to our feet, please. Everyone standing. Father, you know the hearts of your people. You know the hearts of every one of us. I pray that in light of what you have been speaking to us about, that we just be obe obedient. And that we would be ready when you return. Bless this invitation in Jesus' name. Amen. Has God spoken to your heart? Would you step out and come? Just slip out and come. God has spoken to your heart. You just obey the Lord. You just obey the Lord. That's right. Some have come already. God is speaking to your heart. You just obey the Lord. Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. If you're here and you're not sure that you're saved, you can step out right now. You say, Brother Paul, I didn't raise my hand. That's okay. You slip out right now. You come to Pastor Monday say, Preacher, I'm not sure I'm saved. 
He'll find a person to take a Bible and show you how to be saved. This is your time. millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. The cross upon which Jesus died is a shelter in which we can hide. And its grace so free is sufficient for me. And deep is its fountain, as wide as the sea. There's room at the cross for you. There's room at the cross for you. Though millions have come, there's still room for one. Yes, there's room at the cross for you. What a wonderful evening it's been. What a wonderful week.